0: We were the tip of the spear coming out of COVID. Peloton was one of the f- fastest going up, and we we came slamming down within the next six months. Every growth company on the planet came down to the tune of 50 to 90 percent collapse. Yeah. That's right. yeah. We were just the first one. Peloton was a Incredible company, incredible brand, fun, you know, thing to, to build with great founders and great team. And now I'm selling rugs and a diverse career can keep you engaged and excited and learning and having fun. So I think business is a great way to do it.
1: Hi, right, guys, we are back with Business Untitled. Subscribe, like, Comment, add us on Instagram, TikTok. I love TikTok, too. I'm here with... YouTube. YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm here with the world-famous Dave Barry. Mike thought I was going to say the world-famous Mike <laughs> 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 Novogratz. i with the world-famous Dave Barry and Mike Novogratz, and I'm going to pass it to Dave.
2: Well, I want to introduce our next guest. Uh, he's been a friend of mine for a long time and business partners as well. John Foley. John, it's great to have you here. Thanks for um, having me. John, great to be here. Yeah, John for reference, uh, I guess I got introduced to you by either MR Lovani or Dave Heller back in the day and um, that was when you had left John was CEO of Barnes & Noble Interactive, right? Or Online something like that. Online.com, yeah. Online.com. Um, and then Went, and we're going to talk about this, went on to found Peloton, which was amazing. And I was lucky enough, uh, as was Mike, to be uh, in that from the beginning. And so we're going to talk about that. Yeah, met these
1: guys. A little bit. It was an
2: incredible, incredible uh, vision and company. Um, He has a new venture now called Ernesta, which is direct-to-market, direct-to-consumer carpets, and he's going to tell us about that. Uh, went to Georgia Tech, Harvard Business School, a total business stud, and we're happy to hear And, actually, and maybe uh,
3: more importantly, yeah. because he was kind of a CEO of the moment, he's now going to be our uh, talent scout for all these other <laughs> entrepreneurs, because he seems to know all of them. Yeah. So, that's pretty awesome. We <laughs> just hired that. a guy. Welcome, John. Welcome, yeah, John.
0: Thank you. Thank you for coming to the it's podcast. A, it's a small tech community here in New York City of especially direct-to-consumer founders. But in general, uh, I've, I've put my arms around other tech entrepreneurs in New York because I'm proud of what's happening here in New York. I love New York, and it's a little bit of a competitive thing to the Valley where I think what we're doing is super cool, and I think the people doing it are cool. So it's been a fun to connect with all these people.
1: Love that. With saying that about New York, I saw this uh, post that went pretty viral with Ken Griffin and Jeff Bezos. And it was saying, one guy makes 38 million a day, the other guy makes three million a day, and these two guys are advocating for tech and finance to be run from Miami. Wow. Do you think that's possible? Sounds Probably. Like, you sounds noble. sounds like sounds like Republicans. <laughs> I don't think it's, there's, it's it's not even
3: close to being responsible. Those guys are there to pay less tax. Let's yes. be really clear yes. about it. Yes. Yeah, but that's what the, I'm saying. When everybody moved. Let, move let, there, let to me pay tell you. Let tax. me tell you. The total office space being built in Miami. Total right now being built in Miami is less than one building in Hudson Yards. Miami is a tiny little place relative to New York City, and so there's not a place for the talent to even be stored. Those guys are putting companies there, but their talents all in New York.:
1: But what kids want to come here. 20 minutes away from Miami.
3: But they're, they're just—they don't have the infrastructure of human capital to build the world-class businesses. They can bring people down there because you're right; there's cheaper taxes. And I like going to Miami for the weekend, but it's—it it can't be into the same breath as New York City. Yeah. John you know Foley's what? from Florida, he can, he can give us some perspective
0: Part of Florida. <laughs> I grew up, uh, I went to high school down in uh, Isla Murata, Tavernier in the Florida Keys. Wow,
1: that's the middle of nowhere. Never yeah. heard of it. Yeah, it's tiny. Do they have black people there? Yeah, lots.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a diverse community, a, a fun Graduated with 100 kids. Four of us went to college. Wait, no, no way. way. Yeah, yeah, it was it's crazy. It's just kind of, there's so not you, a lot were of- Were you one of the rich kids? I was. My, we had a house. Most most kids grew up in trailers. So I was. You know, my dad was an airline pilot. I I was probably top ten percent wealthy down there. Yeah.
3: Wow. Isn't it funny when you're, you're like when I grew up, the guy whose dad was the orthodontist was the rich guy. Yeah. Like, Dude, they're so rich because his dad was an orthodontist. Yeah. and The rest of our parents were military. Work. You know, military government workers. Yeah. It's it's just that snow globe you grow up in. There's a pecking order. Yeah,
0: right? for or, sure. Yeah, yeah. Why don't
2: we start out with, like, just talking about... Growing up. Huh? Growing up. Yeah, grow, growing up and how you got into business.
0: Uh, I got into business because there's, you know, it's uh, the Willie Sutton rule. Go where go where the money is. I <laughs> I needed to make money. And uh, um, interestingly, uh, my son is now 15. He's taking the SAT. And going to this this uh, public high school down in the Keys, it wasn't like college prep environment. And so I remember taking the SAT. And I got 750 on math, and I got 530 on verbal, which is 1280, and not. I say it in a. In, in a I got the exact same thing. Oh, that's so funny. It's not. <laughs> it's not something you should be is proud that of. Is good or bad? no? It's not good but by, by, today, I I out of high by school, today's standards, <laughs> 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 that's the hunger. We like that <laughs> today's today's standards. Today's, school, kids.
3: today's standards. You're not getting into good school, but that's
0: you? right. Yeah, 1280 is not good. But to answer your question, Dave, um, uh, with a such a 220 points difference between math and science. It kind of said I needed to go in, into engineering or something where math and science was going to be more, better. So I went to Georgia Tech. I paid my way through Georgia Tech working in Waco, Texas, um, making candy, um, wearing a hairnet, steel toe shoes, and a uniform. How old were you? I was nineteen when I got into this co-op program, and I started working six months a year for five years to pay. So, what so kind of candy? What kind of candy? So, um, yeah, I'm Skid- just trying to
1: get that visual. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> so it's proper, proper candy. Billions of dollars worth of candy made out of this plant. But I was responsible at one point for all of the Skittles and Starburst North uh, uh, production for North America as a shift manager. I, I managed a midnight shift. Oh wow. Um, but this plant guys made, uh, also made Snickers and Twix and we made 6 million Snicker bars a day just just for the North American market.
1: 6 million. That's why we all fat.
0: That's why we're fat. We're (laughs) going to talk about obesity in another
1: episode. (laughs) So on one end of the spectrum, you were partially responsible for getting America fat. Full circle. (laughs) And in the other spectrum, you felt so bad you got them healthy. That's true. That's yeah, true. Uh, see that?
3: Keeping track. Keeping like track. That. So you did the Caney for how many years?
0: Uh, effectively through college That's and then awesome. for a couple of years afterwards. It was probably six or seven years working in Waco. Back, to, back to country music. and
1: million six million Snickerbars a day? It's tons,
0: yeah. It's crazy.
1: So By Waco, way, Texas, you, that was post the, the, the Waco
0: tragedy? During. And, during. during so I, you I saw, were there. I saw the fire. Branch from, Davidians. Yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. You're, you're too young for Branch Davidians.
0: I was there. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, that yeah i yeah. it out. Yeah. They were there that long, the FBI and the CIA and the ATF, I think it was. Yeah,
3: uh, it was ATF that Yeah, ATF
0: up. would be working out in, in our gym, and they'd show up in the morning because they had to get their work out. It was like a couple months standoff, I believe. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, to answer your question, Dave, I got into business because it's, um, one, as I've gotten older, I'm trying to push my kids into business. I think it's fun. Business. You know, I guess we're going to talk about Peloton at some point. Peloton was an f- incredible company, incredible brand, fun, you know, thing to, to build with great founders and great team. And now I'm selling rugs. And mm. it's, you know, I think I uh, don't need to tell Mike Novogratz or, or either of you that a diverse career can keep you engaged and excited and learning and Having fun, so I think business is a great way to do it. And obviously, if you're if you're good at it, you can make some scratch on the side. What was your <laughs>
1: first business? Whether it was like official, you went and filed the LLC or the moment. Like I always tell this Nintendo story. Like my first business, looking back, was me hooking up my Super Nintendo outside my house and charging kids. Right, and I looked back and I was like, oh shit, that was a business. So we have, we have to, have to edit this story out of each podcast because it's in each one. It's <laughs> in it <wasn't laughs> one podcast.
2: Like,
1: uh, well, what was your first business, like so, official, unofficial, official?
0: Yeah, so I was working at McDonald's for most of high school, and on the side, um, back to my dad being more affluent, we had a you know nineteen foot center console boat that I could run around yes. in. And it's Florida Keys and you're, you know. Rich. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I felt rich. It was was good living, Um, especially when you have a couple of pops and you have girls on the boat. It's kind of, you know. But, again, you're not getting into college, spending your weekends and afternoons doing that too much, right? But to answer your question, Mel, um, there was some side hustles you can do on a boat, including running crab traps and lobster traps and trying to um, put together a small business selling crab or lobster in the marketplace. It never became much, but every morning you wake up thinking you're gonna be, you're gonna make some money or you're gonna pull up the mother load of, of crabs or lobsters That's or whatever, awesome. yeah. But
1: that had to be like kinda, from whatever money you made from that, that had to be like one of the moments you fell in love with the idea of business. Yeah, sure, yeah, exactly.
0: I also saw, um, Mike, you brought up orthodontist. Um, my dad was an airline pilot and his job was always the same. And he flew planes for thirty-five years for Delta, and, and then Delta went bankrupt, and he lost his pension, and he lost his big tragic story from my father. But um, but as a you know as a lawyer, largely, or a doctor, or a dentist, or an orthodontist, those jobs you can make good money, but it's it's obviously capped. It's you know a couple hundred thousand dollars, which for most Americans you're super excited about that. Most immigrants, that's kind of the golden ticket is to get one of those jobs and. But, um, I saw very quickly that, um, that I, you know, if you're super dynamic and you want to, you know, run up the hill and try to share in the upside of, of your hard work, you you got to take a little bit different angle. And obviously business is one of those ways. Same thing with you, Mel. I know you've kind of, uh, the business of music is, is similarly exciting.
1: Yeah, it is. I think, uh, at this point, just all business is exciting to me, honestly. So I, I, uh, The Nintendo story. (laughs) That's where I fell in love. And then music is kind of what, cigarettes, music is what pushed me over the top. But then I just fell in love with, like, just business. Like you said, just earning and not having a limit to it and dreaming more than anything. I Mm -hmm. fell in love with the dream of uh, one day possibly being a billionaire, like, Mike Novogratz mentions <laughs> yeah. every single podcast that he is a billionaire.
3: <laughs> i never said that.
1: Before. I like that so, on the record. Yeah, that same thing.
0: But well, it's all—it's also what I like, and I think we all probably played some sports. I know you're hardcore. Both of you are. Not me at all. I, I don't know your background, but, <laughs> um, but I like sports and I like team stuff. And to your point, Mel, with business, you can... Get with some other friends and some other business people who inspire you. You can define a challenge. You can raise some money, and you can attack that challenge, and hopefully we'll talk about Ernesta. And I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. Uh, uh, You know, I've had a rough couple years, but Mm -hmm. I'm back at it and defined a new challenge and a little bit bit probably like you, Mel, where you find a new artist or a new genre or something that just is a whole new uh, uh, vector of learning for you.
3: You know, it's interesting. I'm just thinking of, like, we're on, like, seventh or eighth podcast, and if there was a theme song, it could be Chumbawamba. I get knocked down, but I get up again. (laughs) (laughs) That literally, you know, I'm just thinking of almost every guy who sat in that seat, uh,
1: everyone's, you know, falling on their ass You know, my greatest success with music is City Morgan. And when I first heard the music, I didn't even fucking understand what they Mm. were saying. Mm. And... It wasn't something that I listened to at the time. Now I fell in love with the music because I came to understand what they were talking about. But at the time, it was just like it was like rock and roll mixed with hip-hop. These two kids just screaming. And I just saw something so different that I was like, it's attracting me to it, and I feel like the rest of the world is going to get this. Yeah, sure. But it wasn't like music I loved. It wasn't like... Music I even understood. It was just the emotion in it. I just knew if I feel like this, other people are going to feel like this. And that group blew up. They just did Madison Square Garden. They do arenas now. Like They sell millions of dollars of merch every year. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. He's a fan. He did the mosh pit with them. So it was just like, and now I love the music after I understood it. But in the moment when they were in front of me, it's kind of like, what the fuck is this? But I don't know, I feel something.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to say, what was, what was that from, initial inspiration, that aha moment? For Peloton. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, how <laughs> did you, before that, real quick. Transition from candy to what? How did, yeah.
0: So, yeah, my brother-in-law. How did you even come up with this? John Pleasants, who yeah. I think you guys know, a yeah. uh, real unique guy. I just spent Thanksgiving with him. He's still my best friend and, and married my sister. And, mm-hmm. um, but he was uh, six, he's six years older, and I used to work for him. Uh, he was a big mentor to me. I went to this, you know, very, uh, I'll say rough, because it wasn't rough, rough, but it was very poor um, public high school in the Florida Keys. My brother-in-law went to St. Paul's, Yale, Harvard Business School, Mm -hmm. he was like on this Gorgeous pedigree track, and so mm. when I when he came, we into never my liked life, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but when he came into my life, it kind of changed my life because he he was similar to me, and he was dynamic and excited, and we shared so much in common. And I saw I could you know potentially be like him, and so. I applied to—well, um, first of all, he got me over to the early days of uh, the Internet, a company called CitySearch.com, mm-hmm. which was a local city guide in 1996. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which was the early days of the that Internet. That is early. Yeah. yeah, and it was super fun. So I left manufacturing. Um, uh, Mars Incorporated, which is a great family-held company, um, which most people stay there their, their, their entire career. So it was very odd that I was leaving. But I was like, I think this di- the dynamicism of the people in the inter- in the internet space was something intoxicating and very you know. You guys have seen it. I'm sure it's similar to the last five or ten years of uh, of crypto. I-, I would guess it's just really dynamic people who are you know want to take the hill and want to work hard and are dynamic and smart and generally well-educated. But anyway, um, so I went to city search and then he encouraged me to apply to Harvard business school. I applied to Harvard business school. I had this kind of the sun shines on a dog's ass every now and then moment where they were, I think they were interested in my manufacturing background and my dot com background. Uh, both of which were pretty rich for as young as I was having started when, when I was 19 working in the, in the um, manufacturing. So anyway, I got into Harvard business school, not because I did that well at Georgia tech, not because I tested that well, just because there was something in it. I was different than the McKinsey guy or the Goldman guy or the you know, so um, uh, and that kind of changed my life. All of a sudden I, you know, I showed up really nervous and insecure. And two years later I had the confidence to be able to sit with guys like you and And know that I could, you know, I could not say I could hang because that might be a little bit too uh, uh, self aggrandizing because I'm I'm still insecure (laughs) in being able to hang with you guys. But um, uh, it did change my life. And so, coming out of that, I went back and worked for John Pleasant's again at Ticketmaster, which was owned by Barry Diller at the time. And so, something, Mel, you asked about my first real entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. thing. Um, I really liked working at IAC. Joey Levin, who's a buddy of mine, who's now the CEO, was there. Um, all these interesting, very smart, dynamic people. And Barry did a pretty, very good job creating a culture. And so what we did, uh, this guy named Dan Marriott, who was my partner founding a company called Pronto.com, but he did something interesting. I don't know whether you've heard about it. It's a separately capitalized inside of a corporate shell phantom equity structure with a forced put call option after 5 years where the company had to buy out our 20% they're the funding partner and so we effectively started a company without venture backed backing we started it with IC backing but it was within that parent company Interesting. it was pretty cool to keep dynamic people at your company you fund them you agree to fund them and it was this baseball arbitration you know put call thing that they had to pay us for the value of the company we created. So even before I was on the radar of venture capitalists, um, we were doing entrepreneurial stuff w- where we would share in the upside of what we created within IAC, so that was kind of... Whose idea was that? Was that Barry's idea? Or it was Dan, Dan Marriott. Uh, is this is very smart. He went over to Stripe's group with Ken Fox. Got He's it. a private equity guy. Um, but he was kind of a deal genius, and he came up with this, and he saw me as a good operating partner. So we teamed Did up. Did you get close to Barry at that point? Like, yeah. I, I, I worked directly for him for six or eight years, and uh, and I, I had a great relationship with them. I um, as we might talk about, uh, and I think you guys are very similar, I know you you are, actually both of you are. Um, just you you're you're aggressive and you want to win, and I put so much pressure on myself. By by the way, Barry Diller's a multi multi-billionaire. Yeah. Yeah, multi-billionaire. Yeah, I have nothing. I, I had nothing and now I'm back to pretty close to nothing. But uh, at the time I was I was so hungry that he didn't have to put pressure on me i mean he's notorious that he's tough but but you know at one point he's like john if you don't figure this out i'm going to fire you in six months I was like, oh my God! You'd give me six. I'd, I'd give myself six weeks. I was like, you're giving me six, and he it, it kind of frustrated him because he's like, God, I was trying to really lean on him, and it backfired. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and I was awesome. like, I got to figure this out. I don't. Uh-huh. Like, I need the money. You like, you're fine. I got. I got. I was. I had a fire in my belly, and so my uh, he his his tough nature never bothered me. I actually appreciated, you know, that he was hungry and mm-hmm. wanted a lot out of his team, and I I uh, like that. So next. So next. uh, So I go uh, jump over to uh, Barnes and Noble for a hot second with uh, my partner, William Lynch, who was the CEO. um, And we were trying to make a last minute, last ditch effort to run to to go after Amazon. And Mm -hmm. looking back, it was too little, too late. We were actually going to try and take it private. uh, But the leases were seen as long as debt. And so you couldn't lever it mm-hmm, because it was mm-hmm. effectively long-term liability mm-hmm. or something that makes sense yeah. now in retrospect. But at the time, I didn't understand that technicality. So but you
1: guys we, were trying to what, buy uh, Amazon? No, compete with Amazon.
0: to compete with Amazon. Oh, compete with Amazon. Yeah, okay. Barnes & Noble, which was, uh, you know, th- th- Amazon's the b- most well-run company in the last 25 years. And <laughs> and they had a 15-year head start. So it was a little bit arrogance or hubris to think that we had any chance and, certainly history would say that we didn't um, <laughs> and so we we uh that only lasted for like 18 months and to answer your question Dave um I was staring at the nook and the kindle world and when I was at Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you what the nook and the kindle are mm-hmm. it's a hardware platform with software custom made software to consume content at home huh. mm-hmm. my wife still uses the kindle yeah and so you have this hardware mm-hmm. device in your home you and the software, and you can have access to millions of books yep. available when you want them. Mm-hmm. So I was like a lot wow. of people at the, in my 30s with my, my wife um, and I did Soul Cycle, Flywheel, Barry's Boot Camp, um, yoga all these different, you know, fancy boutique fitness stuff. You remember uh, I'm sure Suki was in that world or if not yourself as well. Um, and it was really cool. oh um, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah I <gotta> suck that <laughs> that ah. <laughs> Um so We're anyway, all talking about fitness. With but but we you know, these early days of music streaming and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you can stream music. YouTube's taking off, you can stream video. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think you can build a vertically integrated hardware software platform. I was probably pitching you guys right about this time, or yeah. within yeah. A, within a year, of saying, I, I th- and and I, I think if you look back, I was pitching you on pretty much what we built, mm-hmm. uh, you know, almost to the interface. And, and, you know, it was very clear in my mind what it was supposed to be, including the Barry's Bootcamp part of it, which would be the treadmill workout, mm-hmm. which I think treadmill treadmill is a bigger market. And by the way, to this day, I think it's a huge opportunity for Peloton. Mm-hmm. That, that I have one and I yeah, use it. Yeah, the treadmill sometimes with with the uh, with the programming, with on and yeah. off, and mm-hmm. do the weights, and it's an efficient workout, right? Unlike a treadmill that is super boring, an old school treadmill is super boring. Yeah. But when you say, okay, get on the treadmill for five minutes, get off, grab your 30-pound weights, do this stuff, get down on the floor, do push-ups, and you know, do all, uh, mountain climbers, get back on the treadmill. And assuming everyone's done a boot camp workout, it is super good for your heart and your and your cardio. But it's also it shreds you in a way that a, a soul cycle workout doesn't, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, or or a, or a biking workout doesn't. Yeah. So anyway, um, we saw the bike workout, we saw the tread workout, and um, and so the idea was great, the team was great, our founders are great the real challenge that you guys sat front row to, including mm-hmm. you on the board, mm-hmm. was the fundraising challenge. Mm-hmm. It was it was one of the hardest companies I could ever imagine to You know, I'm, I know that there are other founders that have had as hard a time or maybe harder, <laughs> but I think, to my knowledge, you can count them on one or two hands. I, I just don't know. We had to raise a lot of money yeah. and, and nobody was there. You remember these days? Well, I, yeah. I remember. Yeah.
3: I was kind of a lucky investor because I think you know our kids were going to the same school and my wife met you and and I didn't realize Dave and uh, Heller were getting in originally and then we all got together and said, I'm in I'm in but I wasn't paying as much attention to these guys and it took us there was another round and then another round and I was like how many and I remember in my mind saying, "I'm never investing in another hardware business." <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know hardware software was quite frank. I was a macro guy, but I was just getting into venture. But I did, that became like a truism because of how many damn rounds you had. Yeah, yeah. well,
2: yeah. being being on that board, it was to me it was amazing because the the amount of capital that put it, you know, building the bikes in Taiwan, right, in addition to building a software platform was just daunting. And so it was uh, reasonable that we would, or you would, you know, kind of underestimate that. And I know you went from really having known you at that point in time, being somebody that was like all about the inspiration, the ideas of the product to spending, like at that point in time, had to be 75% of your time was just court and capital right
0: at least 75% you're right dave i i've said this and this is honest truth that i did not build peloton my co-founders built peloton when i was out on the road trying to raise money mm-hmm. and for, how much for two you, or three years
3: how many how many rounds were there
0: before i think eight rounds and yeah. billions of dollars yeah yeah wow
1: oh wow yeah what was the first round how much you raised
0: 400,000 at a 1.6 million pre money so mm-hmm. 2 million post and
1: what was the last round
3: uh well, she just the Tiger round that I like I- an idiot sold into <laughs> at well, about a billion dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was when the stock that, was at that, fifteen. That. And then the TCV round was, um, I think, the series. Uh, I um, sold into the F. round
3: right before the IPO, against the yeah. advice of Dave Barry. Against the advice of the CEO and against the advice of Dave Heller. Uh, I took the advice of a new guy I just hired who's a great guy and a great investor. And he was like, it's a bike company. And I was like, no, I think it's a platform company. But he was so convinced he wrote a 24-page paper. And I'm a people pleaser. And he was working in my office. And I was like, you know, I'd made a lot of money. He was the first venture investor. I think collectively I'd put up in $300,000 in. And I got like six and a half, seven million $7 million out of it. So it was like 20 times my money on a bike company. And I was like, Woohoo hoo
0: And then – Boom. <laughs> well, and then boom this way. So it's well, uh, I think the story is still being told, right? I mean,
3: I, I in my mind, it's the
0: single worst
3: trade I ever did.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, you guys know the story. The rest of the story is kind of public, right? It's uh, it, it it was we were running a fantastic company. Yeah. I thought, yeah. great team, great brand, great culture. Um, we became profitable pre uh, pre um, COVID. And so everything was firing. And we had a business model that we were very proud of that doesn't exist anymore, um, and I think that's part of the reason that the market doesn't love the story like they used to, is that the model was we had gr- gross margin in the hardware. Mm-hmm. So call it 40% gross margin. Let's mm-hmm. say it cost, um, Let's say fully, all in, it cost $1,200 to get you a bike. Mm -hmm. And we sold it for Mm $2,000. So that $800 of margin, we would put into marketing and run television ads and have stores. And so on the first transaction, when you buy the bike, um, if we spent $800 CAC, we would be uh, neutral. We called it net CAC zero.
2: CAC is customer acquisition, customer
0: acquisition cost cost, and the gross margin and the hardware paid for that cost of acquisition. So then on month one, the subscription margin would fall to the bottom line. And so that was how we kind of ran the railroads. And and it was a gorgeous business model that we were very proud of. And we were growing hundred percent year on year. And that's Mm -hmm. how we ran the business. Then COVID came and. We started chasing, you know, capacity, and you know, yeah. eight billion people are uh, stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Every gym is shut down. And my doctor once called me up. He said,
3: hey, "Do you think he could like call your friend who started the Peloton because I really, really need a Peloton?" Yeah, you know, yeah. I was
0: yeah. Like, hey. Oh yeah. man, I got so many requests for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> <Yeah>. wow. <laughs> I was talking. By the way, I went to, out to Poly Prep, uh, um, thanks to you guys, uh, and talked to um, one of the uh, class on um, these high schoolers are learning uh, personal finance. And they, um, uh, I, I mentioned this situation right in COVID. And I said, well, you know what's a funny thing is guys or team is what um, what would you do when the demand is through the roof and supply is limited? What, is you, what does economic theory generally tell you to do? Prices. And even they said, you, you could raise prices. And I was like, you, should, you could raise prices. Mm-hmm. And I said, why, why wouldn't we raise prices in that environment? And they couldn't answer it. And the answer is because you would be voted off the island as a jerk mm-hmm. trying to take advantage mm-hmm. of this situation mm-hmm. and only let rich people get the the endorphins and the uh, mental health benefits and the physical health benefits of having a Peloton in their home. So you're sitting there with the same prices. You know, you, you, you mm-hmm. could re-adjudicate that decision sitting here today. Yeah. Uh, so – but in, yeah.
3: and and there's the, the 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 wokeness dial is kind of going the other direction now. You might be able to get away with it now. <laughs> who knows? <But> it, <laughs> who knows? I'm not yeah. right. No, it's a it's a hard call because yeah. there was a lot of talk about gouging.
0: Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah, I, I felt COVID, I felt good. We yeah. I, I didn't we didn't uh, as a leadership team we didn't um, debate that much. That without felt fine. The answer was get the capacity up. So we invested in capacity, invested in capacity, invested in capacity. Until two years later, yeah, too much capacity. The world decided that COVID was over, and we had we're sitting on this capacity. Mm-hmm. So then we had what you call fixed cost delevering because we had all these fixed costs, and it delevered, and it cost me my job. We hit, we missed a quarter, missed another quarter, and all of a sudden, you know, John Foley is persona non grata, and you know he's a bad business guy, and it's like, you know, looking back, you know, the interesting thing I, I, as as it's I'm, interesting
3: you make so many good decisions in business to build this thing and struggle through it and raise the capital. And then, it's what CEOs do get paid for though.
0: There was one call and you made the wrong call, and boom, it really was. And I don't know whether we made the wrong call. I think we tried to get as many bikes to people who were stuck at home as possible. And when you think about the existential, trying to help people <laughs> through COVID, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. You know, Well,
3: maybe you made morally the right call, but as a shareholder, spending us so much on on, on building out capacity that you're yeah. not going to need. Yeah, and that's, that's true. again, That's how, true.
0: How you balance that or how yeah, you fund it. I'm, sure, I'm not for, judging. for, for I, sure with the benefit of hindsight, there are yes. things I would do differently. Yeah, no question, obviously. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And and the company
2: becomes a different company to run at, right, like 500 million to 5 billion to
3: 15 billion. But that, but, that's well, a great question. Keep
2: going. Keep yeah, going. no, that, that's where I was going to go because I, I had a front, front row seat to John running Peloton those first bunch of years and he did an absolutely phenomenal job of leading that company, threading needles to get it, right? That, that is no small feat to get a company to go from z- scratch to being nasdaq right, right into... And the market um, cap
3: was at the, at the peak was what? At the peak? The like 15000000000 billion, wasn't it? No, north of 40 I believe. Oh, was... It wow. Yeah. So, but do you think, forgetting... <laughs> Whoa. And this is... This, when I want yeah. to answer the question. Do you think... When it was a $15 billion, $20 billion company with that kind of sales, Uh, that there was a different skill set needed than you had? Uh, Or uh, that this was just a wild time. In retrospect, I don't
0: think that, but at the time I did, so I approached the board and said we should get a a big, fancy CEO who's done this before. And so for 18 months, I recruited CEOs that I thought were fantastic. We had two world class. Incredibly seasoned killer CEOs on the one yard line twice because you're right, Mike. I'm, I'm not the founder who's you know thinking that this is mine because all I cared about was shareholder value, I was a big shareholder. And I wanted to take care of other shareholders, and I said, maybe John Foley from Key Largo, this kid who you know went to this crappy public high school, maybe there's somebody better than. Um, by the way, Coral Shores is a great high school. I'm just in, 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 <laughs> want to disparage. What, what, what's your mascot? What's your mascot? I, the Hurricanes. Hurricanes. Come, come, come on, on let's go. <laughs> No, it's just they don't have the resources. Um, it was a poor. When right. I say poor, it th- just was a undercapitalized public high school, like a lot of public high schools uh, these days. Um, Vis-a-vis these fancy private schools in New York City, it was a very poor school. The CEO thing, though, it's a crazily interesting question because in some
3: ways you went through a two-year up-down that is probably a one-off in terms of most people's business life cycle. right? Where you had a global event that created a surge of demand for all kinds of things that then brought forward demand two to three years and created the downside of all that. You know, an air pocket. That how do you manage? There's, some, tur- that?
0: There's some turbulence there. I agree, and I, I, as I keep history, and I try to, you know, through dinner parties and with my friends and my family, I try to tell the the story of history that is favorable to me, and I'll tell it here. Is we were the tip of the spear coming out of COVID. Peloton was one of the f- fastest going up, and we we came slamming down mm-hmm. in January ish of 2022. S- within the next six months, every growth company on the planet yeah. came down to the tune of fifty to ninety percent collapse. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were just the first one.
2: Yeah,
0: and so you got it, all the press. We got all the press. We were the fit. We were the fitness company that went up, and here comes John Foley running his company into the ground. But then every other company did the same thing, yeah. and all of a sudden it was wait, maybe it wasn't John Foley. Maybe it was. A COVID reset on consumer and growth companies were getting hit by the increased rates that everyone saw, and there was a real unwind in growth tech, and it had nothing to do with John Foley, except the air pocket of the of the fixed cost delivery. But by the way, my last before I had some tough conversations with the board, I was laying off 3,000 people. I I had got the memo that you have that we need to reset the cost structure that's that's an obvious thing so well that was that i guess that would have been my only if i'm on your board my only
3: thought would have been can the guy who hired all the people be tough enough to fire the people and for sure can,
0: because i care so much about the company right
3: but you're right that the the the, the theatrics around that yeah. that that stock price yeah. Yeah. I mean, b-
0: business
2: is tough enough in normal circumstances though when you're on the leading edge of like coming into COVID, supercharging and then the rug gets pulled out underneath it's just going to be. So comp- talk like, about the like psychology of
3: leveraged. you know, 40 billion dollar company it crashes
1: down. Before you go into yeah. that, I want to ask some fun questions. Yeah. When did you make your first million dollars? And what did it feel like?
0: I might have been 38 and it felt great. I mean I it was uh, I mean I, I put it all into a down payment in a West Village uh, co-op. And then all of a sudden I didn't have any money and now I have a rent <laughs> check. You know, I know. So it, it wasn't like I was, you know, driving a fancy car or, you know, ringing the cash register, running around like uh, acting a fool. But um, it did taste like, okay, this is when you work hard and you get equity and you figure out, um, you know, business and you start to do well in business there the you, you, it felt good.
1: And what, when, uh, like our friend here, when, uh, when you hit that height and you became a billionaire what did that feel like don't answer mike let him just
0: <laughs> yeah at that stage it it um it becomes funny money i don't know how you feel it just it's it, it you, you read an article and it's a little bit you, you start to look at yourself from the outside in um and for me it definitely was funny money it was paper money and i never i never realized it and never actualized it so it was just an it was a concept and it was an article, but it didn't, um, I started spend. I started buying things.
1: What was your biggest purchase? Yeah. You, <laughs> th- you gotta be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mel's flashing his watch around. <laughs>
0: um... You know all the usual stuff. No, no, no. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Well, we want to know. He's got, mean, a, he's got one of the nicest townhouses.
1: Come on, let him. <laughs> one
0: of the great indulgences of, of that, that type of money is is flying private, and and we did it for a couple of years, and and we don't we don't anymore, and it's. Um, it's okay to say uh, uh, I bought a jet. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I, uh, you buy a share through NetJets, and it's it's really good living. Um, uh, at, 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 at business school one time, Warren Buffett came to speak to us, and he said that you know if you make $300,000 a year or more, and I think that's moved up, inflation adjusted, for 25 years ago, so call it if you make $750,000 a year, which is a ton of money. I, I, I get that for... But he said once you make that, you're living in the same neighborhood as he is, you're eating at the same restaurants, you're wearing the same clothes. You're, there's not much difference between Warren Buffett yeah. and somebody making 750 except for the, the flying private thing. He's, and what does he, he call
2: it? What's his name? Uh, his the, plane? The oh. indefensible. Oh. Oh. <laughs> You know, is that right? yeah yeah no, for real the name of Buffett's plane is the indefensible yeah used to be. well
0: for yeah. for us I'm a pretty social guy you guys know this I, I have lots of friends and I love family and friends and yeah. so anytime we would fly private I would pack the plane with yeah. with. so I you know I, I wasn't flying right by myself because I've you know that was that would be indefensible but it's an indulgence and um and it, it was fun but it's also it's not something I miss now like if we fly commercial we fly back of the bus and you know, a regular family, but the, the the core stuff that matters in your life of having dinner with friends and drinks and, and, you know, working out and spending time and you know, surfing or doing whatever you do, it's all very similar. So I, I feel well, Mike like Micah
1: told me to ask you about the boat.
0: Oh, the boat. Yeah, I also, <laughs> <laughs> How do you know about a boat? <laughs> I did have a fancy boat for, yeah. <laughs> oh, you must have Googled you because I didn't even know you had a boat. I do like, uh, but uh, again, that was kind of, um, in the crushing 10 years, 15, 12 years of building Peloton, I often wasn't the father or the friend I wanted to be. Yeah, I was head down. Um, uh, I, I will get um, uh, a cold sore when I get stressed out sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, don't know why I'm sharing this, probably oversharing. <laughs> Zovarax, <but, laughs> Zovarax is your cure, <laughs> i telling but, you but, what. All wrestlers. But uh, no uh, my, my, my good friends call it the, uh, the cold sore years which uh-huh. was like every time they saw me I had a cold sore <laughs> and it was because I was brutally, brutally, brutally stressed and I, mm-hmm. it was trying, to, you know, when your company's about to run out of money and it's a high profile thing and I'm going to lose your money you guys are going to hate me, you're not really, but I think you're going to hate me because I lost your money because I bankrupt the company, so you got to keep the money coming mm-hmm. to pay mm-hmm. for the bills and it was very, very stressful, so anyway, when I bought the boat, when I had the money now I don't have the money and don't have the boat, uh, but uh, uh I thought about it as giving back to my hosting people on the boat was such an intimate if you've ever spent time on on a boat where you Mm -hmm. spend, you know, you sleep there and you have meals. And it is such a fun quality time with your loved ones that I I felt like it was a gift more to them than me where I could. And obviously I enjoyed it, but um, that was a kind of a celebration for everyone around me to participate in. Um, the limited success I had for the, for the time.
1: You know what? I completely get that because Mike's boat is more a gift to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Mel, <you> just <laughs> boat more than <laughs> I. His, his <laughs> All right. So wait. Go on. What
2: do you say? I want I want to change it to Ernesta and talk about. Well, what, I was going to say yeah. the, the, the
3: the transition. So, like, listen. I, I said we get knocked down, we get up again. Yes. When you get knocked down, it sucks. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you emotionally get through that valley? Because it's a valley, you know. It's a shitty valley uh, of, oh, I just blew this cat. I'm not as rich as I thought I was. I'm embarrassed. i I, I'm coming up with a narrative. How long did that take before you were back on your feet and with your mind clicking again and saying, hey, rugs? Like, what's what's that? that, Was it a year? Was it 18 months? Was it?
0: It was uh, there was no time. I I was ready to get back on. As soon as I saw things going sideways at Peloton, I started working on the next business plan, because... Wow. Um, i That's I,
1: actually kind of badass. Yeah. It's I, the, I cried like a baby for weeks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I will tell you, I am uh, super blessed that my family and my friends did, like are 100% the same, and they never saw me, they never loved me for money, and they never cared about it other than... Um, we had fun when we had it, you know, smoke them if you got them. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm back at it and it's the same group of friends and my wife has been super, super strong through all kinds of unwind. A lot of it was just the logistics of unwinding of selling houses and, um, working through, um, just the, uh, the realities of having money and going back to where you started. Um, there's, there's some, you know, f- uh, logistics to that, that are just kind of, um, and and they're they're frustrating because it's like in your face that you're you're losing. But you money. didn't you didn't ha-
3: like go to a healing place and take time and just try to. You mm-hmm. just healed through relationship and starting over. Yeah, so it's pretty yeah.
0: awesome. Yeah.
1: I also want the viewers to know from everything I understand, like uh, you didn't go completely back to where you were. Like financially, you still. Did pretty well, right? Like in in the you know in the big scale of things, like you still live you're right. I I mean, more than you did before.
0: Mel, hundred percent. And I always remind myself, vis-a-vis ninety nine point nine percent of the world, I, I with my health and my family and my. Living in New York City and being able to pay my bills and and maybe something left over, I'm not complaining about my financial situation yeah. at all. You're 100% right. That's a very important call out. To answer your question, I don't know what I have left um, because I'm still unwinding. And there's some illiquid things that you don't know. Like I, um, I, I haven't paid my tax bill for last year. So I'm still trying to get liquid to, you know, and then I have more tax bills coming and I don't I have a private equity investment that you don't know whether it's a 0.5x in this right. environment or a 3x and that type of swing. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to say bankruptcy could still be upon me. I, I don't think that's the case but it could happen yeah. or I could you, I could have, you know, tens of millions of dollars left and, and it's it's still a juggling act of trying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to sell my primary residence in New York City. I'm looking to sell my, I had a fancy house out in East Hampton and I moved into a much more modest place. I'm now trying to sell that much more modest place. Um, it's a real unwind, you know, but but I'm not complaining because, one, and it might be a transition, a good transition yeah. to Ernesta, yeah. I think I'm going to get back on top and, yeah. and I'm going to, you know. And and that's talk what about I'm down. saying is yeah.
1: resilience. It's like to even, Arrgh! like, to go, go through that, tell the story. And that's why I think I said that because I wanted our listeners to understand that, Even when you aim so high, right, even your failures ain't as, like, low as, like, somebody who isn't trying. So you still ended up, like you said, you have tens of millions of dollars or not, but you're still in that space. But you had enough resilience to go, while Peloton was going down, create a new fucking company. That in itself is just crazy. And how how did that come about? Yeah, a completely different different company. space. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I uh, um, I've been thinking about this business for a long time. Um, it's probably like some of the clients you work with on the music side is you're in this band and you're doing this, but it doesn't mean you don't like this genre. And you could go join some other people, and all of a sudden you're in a different band. And it's um, I didn't know you like jazz. Well, yeah, I'm a drummer, of course. I, you know, it's like whatever you could you could jump around. And so as a business guy. Um, To answer your question, Mel, I like building brands. I like um, building great teams, which Ernesta team is, you know, 3X better than Peloton team at the same stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. Um, And uh, luckily – uh, I don't want to say I'm better at raising money. Luckily, I've uh, earned a little bit of goodwill, and I have a great relationship with two investors in particular, who got behind me this time and, and allowed the fundraising process to be much easier. But uh, I think the rugs category—I don't know how deep you want to go into rugs. Yeah, let's but go into, one it. Let's one of those go into it. You raised yeah. 25
1: million yep. for it initially, right? Yep,
0: exactly. Yeah. Um, last year, about about this time last year, and. Um, uh, So the rugs category, I believe, has been is broken. Mm -hmm. It's super, super fragmented. There's 200 places you could buy a rug today in big box stores, uh, home goods stores, rug specialty stores. You go to your designer. You can go to a local uh, mom and pop uh, carpet installer. And but there's no brands. So think about Warby Parker. Warby Mm -hmm. Parker, if you want a nice pair of glasses, you go to Warby Parker because they've curated um, great, you know. I wear Your your grandfather went to Walmart to buy glasses, but you probably Mike wouldn't. still buys glasses from Walmart.
3: <laughs> <laughs> These are Warby's, baby. They are <laughs> right, Warby Parker. Yes, we in New York
0: City from
1: Walmart, which we Was love. Walmart.
0: Because you know they're they're not going to hurt yeah. you. They're, they're going to elevate your style. They're going to they're they're going to be on trend. They're the going to be. He was
1: laughing at his glasses all the time.
3: <laughs> let me let me tell you, the Warby guys too. <laughs> I throw a lot of parties. Those guys might throw more parties than
0: me. Really, they. they throw great parties. Oh yeah,
1: we went to one of these parties. Shout out to yeah. the yeah, 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 son yeah. of yeah.
0: a Neil, from... <laughs> Dave. I haven't been invited to these parties, but <laughs> uh, to be fair,
1: I don't think we was invited either. <laughs> we just it was in the hamptons and we just went that's awesome all right, so
0: keep going keep going so um these guys. so we think by the way warby is also a good value um you know they they're on trend they're great great experience great community great brand all that stuff so um the difference in um the warby business and the Ernesta business is that there's better margins in rugs so i think about it more like a shall we call it sugar water and i went to georgia tech where um uh, Coca-Cola was mm-hmm. headquarters. Sugar water business model, as you know, is the cost of the product isn't much, pennies, but the marketing is where the money goes, mm-hmm. and the margins are such that um, we are going to spend more, probably two or three x more, on marketing than we are on the rug we're buying mm-hmm. that we're wow. selling. Mm-hmm. So it's a real opportunity for people like myself and our and our CMO Alan Smith to build a brand where you think if you want a high quality custom cut rug that feels like a super fancy New York City designer, you know, uh, brought it to you and made it for you and it fits your space and it's high quality and it's a good value and it's a good experience and all these things when you just say, hey, you need rugs, go to Ernesta. Mm-hmm. And that business doesn't exist yet, and mm-hmm. so we're really excited about, um, one of the fun things is we talk to our Google reps right away, 70% of area rug searches on Google are unbranded. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. 99% of custom area rug searches on Google are unbranded. So we say is gonna be the brand, we're gonna do what we did with Peloton, acquire customers efficiently, have the right unit economics, build a big business, and- Talk I- about the
3: name for a sec, Ernesta.
0: Yeah, you don't know? You don't know anything about it? Okay, yeah. good. So growing up in the Florida Keys, uh, my dad grew up in Cuba. He was mm-hmm. in uh, the Navy and Guantanamo Bay. So Ernest Hemingway, he and I fished a lot. Ernest Hemingway is a, is a big, uh, you know, uh, we've read all his Keys books. Guy, yeah. Keys guy, right? you got to love Ernest Hemingway. And then Bob Marley talked about the islands. Bob Marley's middle name is? Ernesta.
1: Ernesta. Nesta. 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 No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ernest Ernest. Hemingway plus Bob Marley. Yes. Did I come to you while smoking a blunt? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a smoker. I'm I'm an Irishman and I probably drink too much. So I got my vices,
0: but I'm not a big smoker. But in the Keys, there's a lot lot of smoking. Um, Contact. Exactly. Contact. (laughs) uh, Exactly. But uh, the the fun thing about uh, the nod to Bob Marley in this business is that the bigger your rugs, by the way, look around here, guys, the bigger your rugs, the better music sounds, the better the better sounds are, because they don't bounce off of walls. They don't bounce off your floor. Mm-hmm. So if you have a rug that is, you know, four inches from the side around the whole ru- room, you can have better conversations. You can have listen to better music. It, it sounds sound is better if the rug is bigger, and that's something. A rug
3: revolution is starting
2: yes, right here right yes, now. Yes,
0: Talk to me. Yeah,
1: please and, let me and put and some money in th- this time.
0: Huh? one <laughs> 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 wants to get in this time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're really like
0: rich
3: <laughs> Peloton. You
0: this this it. will be a bigger business than Peloton. That's another kind of, Tam is big. I've, I've got Tam is huge. Hundred million rugs sold in the U.S. every year. You know Tam is Tam. no
2: total
3: addressable market
1: for per- rugs. Per- huge. huge. Yeah. Holy r- shit.
0: Yeah, it's big. It's yeah. big. Is the rug that's, business? Oh, that's that's so question.
3: Question. I know with you know furnishing and mattresses. Unfortunately, because I've got a big stake in Casper mattress. <laughs> uh, they kind of suffered the peloton thing. Everyone shopped ahead. And now that people aren't buying houses, you know, people get new mattresses and new furniture, new bed when they flip houses, move to somewhere else, rent somewhere else. Uh, is rugs the same cycle, and are we coming out of that cycle?
0: Well, uh, or is rugs a little different. No, rugs is similar. When you move to a new house, you buy five or ten new rugs. So, um, of the hundred million rugs sold in the U.S. every year, it is lumpy. But for our business, it would it would uh, blend across, yeah. And well, you're just
3: starting anyway, so you're yeah exactly. You're gonna take market share.
0: Yeah, we're
2: we're so now. And, they, and I, I would also say that oh wait, hold on, I want to say one thing about, about Also, mattresses are dominated by probably five or six companies that do have brands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Serta, Purple, whatever. Yeah. Rug is completely fragmented. Yeah, so you just taking market share. Rug is
0: absolutely fragmented for sure. Right. So, yeah, but yeah was you, more more you don't need That's a bull market up.
3: in rugs to have a hugely successful company. That's right. That's well, right. Or you it's, need it's, a bull market in mattresses to have those right. mattresses. Because it's, mattresses.
1: it's, it's That's a effectively a roll solar. up as
2: well yeah. as 100 million every year.
1: No, w- there's no brand, com- one brand name that takes the larger part of that market name share. A, name a rug company. No, I don't know how to
2: name a mattress company.
1: Casper. Come on. That's right. How did you identify that? Like, so I, um,
0: I'm weird, uh, I like design. I think you like design and seeing your house. Um, I care about spaces and I care about entertainment and I like, um, I'm, I'm not the most fashionable guy. Um, my buddy Amar Lalvani was over last night, you know Amar. Uh-huh. Um, he has like this cool fashion and um, I'm just kind of a meat and potatoes, get dressed in the morning. I don't really care what I look like, but I do care, I'm house proud. When people come over, you were over. I, I like um, having good music on. I like having good lighting, color temperature, side lighting. Uh, uh, I like the rugs, uh, the furniture. You know, conversation, people. I, I, I know you're. I, I have yeah. been going to your party, Mike. I realized that you, you're such a student of this stuff, like I am. And and it takes one to know one. I was really appreciated all your little attention to detail. And so I've always loved rugs and I've I've been on the internet since 1996 and so I've seen the evolu- evolution of, there was a company called Rugman.com I used to spend a lot of time on because they basically, it was rug shopping 1.0 where it kind of flattened the experience where you were able to say, I want some red, I want some blue, I want it this size. And it would, you know, 30 years ago you went to a rugs merchant and you had some Nepalese Sherpa guy schlepping rugs and dragging them around and you and your wife would just sit there and you felt bad for this guy because he's sweating and you 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 know you're not going to be buying a rug you're just browsing and (laughs) you feel horrible because this person's working so hard for you right um and so the internet kind of changed the game in rug shopping the first version of that Mm -hmm. that was just access to images and a a database driven front end that allowed you to access inventory Mm -hmm. in a more efficient way from home and so I, I bought a bunch of rugs from, from Rugman.com, and I've always been a student of the evolution. But I used to, when I didn't have money, you'd go to Home Depot, you'd go to Lowe's, you'd go to um, Pottery Barn and buy you know rugs, standard size rugs. And then for that hot second when I had money, I was able to work with uh, designers. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing your wives have designers, mm-hmm. and you, you get a fancy you know, interior designer, and they say, you don't want an 8x10 from Pottery Barn. That's kind of, you know, uh, offensive to them to mm-hmm. think that that would look good in your space. You want something higher quality that fits the room, that's, you know, the right color and the right – that's perfect for your room, that's custom. And that's what a nice designer – and, by the way, we hope to sell to those designers who want a great experience and a great price. And, um, uh, and by the way, we also solve the supply chain side where it doesn't take six months to get a custom rug. It takes directionally two weeks to get wow. it from Ernesta. So we are also hardcore. We talk about the consumer branding side. Our COO is also an assassin who is re- changing the supply chain side of custom rugs. So we're we're going after this at a bunch of different angles, um, all you know, with the with the um, intention to the con- of go to, ahead. to the consumer. What's the most compelling thing about our Nesta curation? So we help you, like Warby Parker, we get you to something that's going to be on trend and gorgeous and mm-hmm. high quality, um, the right price. Um, the right uh, speed, the right experience. Um, we're bringing content and community to our commerce experience where our uh, video content will help you, you know, uh, sit with a designer, a designer on our team. who Rosa or Katie will walk you through why this rug is great and why you want it in your house. Um, other we're going to bring community in like we did with Peloton where mm-hmm. you can learn from, uh, you know, the interior design um, ideas from other people who mm-hmm. live in your area or like rugs. They're somebody who bought this rug, and why did they put a brown coffee table on it versus a, a glass coffee table on mm-hmm. it or whatever. But So um, all kinds of different vectors, but um, it's basically awareness of a brand that you can trust and um, elevating the category along, along the way. C- c- rugs, like fitness equipment, I would say, fitness equipment before Peloton was a dopey category.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Full stop. Yep dopey marketers dopey brands dopey products you know you think of a, a spin bike that you would have bought 15 yeah. years ago yeah. crap yeah so peloton elevated the fitness equipment category through cool brand and innovation and everything we we hope to elevate the rug category so that you know i'm not laughed out of the dinner party when i tell people i'm starting a rug company they're like <laughs> wait everyone everyone says is it a uh connected rug uh-huh. I'm like, no, it's just an old school rug. Uh-huh. It's just better it's better <laughs> better than it's ever been. Let me ask a question.
3: I see myself more as an investor than an entrepreneur, but I've had a couple entrepreneurial moments in my life or false starts. And when I first got out of college or first got out of the army and I came here, it was the blockbuster roll up era. Mm. It's like what what can I roll up? Mm-hmm. And I had this great idea that dry cleaners. Mm-hmm. The business that's created the most millionaires in the history of America is dry cleaners.
1: No fucking the way. The most
3: millionaires in America have started dry cleaning businesses. Mm-hmm. But so I was like, okay, you're not going to compete. When you looked at rugs, was there anything that scared you? Like, wait a minute. Is there is there any of that, like, well, that's obvious why it hasn't been rolled up or why is there not. Like... I'm just trying to push. Is there any reason the rugs haven't been rolled up? There's not a brand because it is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. We all have rugs. Yeah, it's a huge category. Um, I think. Like, what's what's the ob- the, uh, the obstacle? I think uh, the reason why a business like this hasn't taken off yet is ignorance on the consumer side. The consumer doesn't know why a eight by ten rug sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So part of our, when we think about marketing, we I, I don't call it marketing, I call it education of why a custom rug, uh, high quality from, the, the, one of the reasons why we we invested heavily right away into sampling operation. Mm-hmm. So if you do, if you want to check out Ernesto Rug, don't buy Ernesto Rug. Go to the website and get, you know, five or ten samples that come to you um, within two days of, you know, 12, 12 inch by 12 inch in a box and you get to feel it and put it down and you and your spouse can have a glass of wine and, you know, uh, put them on your floor and talk about what you want.
1: Question. Sir. If you had, if you could pick any superpower in the world to have, what would it be?
3: Oh, gosh. I picked Thor. I think Hair. Hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which
0: came true. <laughs> we'll see <she> later on. <laughs> um, a superpower or a superhero?
1: Oh, either, Super- either. Either. But you got it. you can't. The great thing
3: is this guy has answered every question we've asked him, and he's done it with thoughtfulness and whatnot. And now he's stumped by the superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is. Who's the? Uh, who's, the is. who's the? Who's the?
0: I guess I'm more than most people. Growing up in the Keys, I'm a, I'm a water guy. I love the boating and I love the Aquaman. thing. So Aquaman, uh-huh. um, being able to swim with the fish and the and the porpoise yeah. and the manatee. Boy, Aquaman. I like that. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe help save the reefs somehow as Aquaman. Maybe a uh, marketing campaign. There we go. Mm-hmm. I
2: was going to ask you with, with uh, Peloton, it was a direct to consumer, it was digital only. It ended up going also into stores, right? Like, And I remember that discussion, the debates about should you start to put physical locations. Do you have any plans like that for Ernesta, or do you think it'll be completely online?
0: No, we are actively uh, pursuing retail strategy or stores. Uh, we're in lease negotiations in four or five different locations.
3: All right, ounce of gold, Dave. All right, so
2: ounce of gold at the end of every podcast, we ask uh, just for your like ounce of gold of wisdom, like what are you going to leave the listeners with? It can be anything basically, but we've heard a lot of amazing stories, ideas about you know how you start a Peloton or Nesta, all those things that happen in your life. But like if you were going to leave people kind of with one ounce
3: of gold, you're, you're, you're given the commencement address at Georgia yeah, Tech, yeah. What, do you tell the kids? One, one, one tag tagline. Tag yeah, it doesn't just have to be a sentence,
2: you get, you but kind of like you're you're, paid you're, paid your nugget
3: that you leave <laughs> us with.
0: Well, this isn't pithy, so it's not going to be some magical uh, uh, soundbite for a uh, for a <laughs> headline. But uh, one, uh, I think my, um, my superpower is... Uh, would be um, finding and somehow, I don't know how, uh, maintaining friendships with incredible people. And as it relates to business, I mean, we all know this, but I don't think, I don't see it enough, is you're only as good as the people around you. Mm -hmm. And uh, Peloton was a great company and should be, again, a great company um, with, because of the co-founders and, and the partners that we had. Um, and the same thing with Ernesta. We are, um, we have this incredible group of highly motivated, everyone has a ton of equity and we're gonna, but we have fun and we're excited. And it, it, it I think it's a cliche that you say it, you wanna surround yourself with high integrity people, but it's just, it's, it's good for your life. It's good for your soul. It's good for your reputation. If you're doing business, it's good for your balance sheet um, because these people are, you know, similarly uh, aggressive and and dynamic and hardworking. And on my tombstone, it would say. John Foley was surrounded by great people, mm-hmm. and it feels good to go through life that way. And and I think good things happen when you're able to um, have invested
1: that. invested people. Boom. The ounce of gold. That's There's a great a ounce of good gold. That's a great ounce of
2: gold.
3: ounce of gold. We give, <laughs> give everyone an ounce of gold. That's an ounce of gold. And and my prediction is gold prices are going up 2012 today on its way to 4,000 in a couple
0: of years. I've never seen an ounce of gold. This <laughs> there you go.
3: you <laughs> Don't think one. it's a quarter and lose it actually no, when you're drunk. Irish What's it worth, Mike? two thousand and twelve dollars
0: all right wow <laughs> Are
1: you kidding me we're trying to get you Come, that plane back, well, yeah. yes. back. It's back his way. Week.
3: i want to just wrap up and say you know one of the things that we've seen with lots of entrepreneurs is curiosity and tenacity and you have those in spades and so i'm buying calls on john foley uh john yeah, foley and really tell, you tell
1: the people I, where they could get a nest of rugs from
0: Ernesta.com.
1: Ernesta.com. Ernesta.com.
0: Look
2: for it. I, I I, really appreciate John being here. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's done amazing with really everything he's done. Those were some great stories. I didn't even know all of them, but like Peloton was, you know, a monstrously successful company and a really brilliant creative um, idea. And Ernesta, I think, is, I mean, being in the business a little bit, I just think it's going to be a home run because I think it's a really. Fragmented, tough place to to find, you know, to find, and so I think it's exciting. So awesome. we wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Dave. Thank uh, you, thank man. you for the
0: connect?